We okay, Matt? We good? Hey, what a great day, day it is. Beautiful day outside. It's a good, good opportunity to get together and to enjoy some time uh, just to sit around the table and talk. And I think the Lord's given me a message today. And I was so excited. Matt, Pastor Matt, when he, uh, we were talking about this the other day, I came into his office and he's like, man, you are pumped. You got this. I was like, yes, I do. I think this is something that the Lord has given me today. And you know, Pastor Gary and uh, Pastor Matt both joked, who is going to be the guy that comes behind Kirk Cousins? Who, who's going to be that guy? I mean, if you weren't here, you need to hear that February message. There are some things that he said that I still am thinking about and I have used to talk to others about. And uh, last week, Pastor Matt came to me and he said, you know, Billy Graham wasn't available, Franklin Graham wasn't available, Greg Laurie wasn't available, and he started ticking off all these names of people who are not available, and he said, would you be interested? (laughs) And, you know, I bet to himself he was just thinking, you know, I'm going to ask him if he would be interested in giving this message, and he may not be as famous as Kirk Cousins, and he's not as uh, skilled and gifted a speaker as Pastor Gary. But I bet there's some things about him that might qualify him to be able to to come and address the men of the stake and study. So today, I want to give you some photographic evidence (laughs) that demonstrates that I got a story that's of interest. I was a cowboy. A master horseman. And then I became a member of the outlaw gang, the Pajama Boys. And then I was a part of the Pajama Brigade of the Commandos and the U.S. Army Rangers. And then I was a pirate. And then I was a Cub Scout. And I was a 1970 Vienna Town Champion in Little League. And I was a 1973 Babe Ruth All-Star in Vienna. I was a focus on the family basketball coach at Catholic University in 1993. And the guy on the far left is Ken Allen, who is the brother of Sonia Kinsella. There's there's Brett right there. Uh, That's his brother-in-law. And I'm on the far right. There's Goose Gibbons of Kentucky and Jay Carty of the Lakers. What a great time. I'm a basketball guy. That's of interest. I'm a men's championship tournament level softball player. You know what? Let me tell you something about fish. Fish love me so much that they jump out of the water to have their picture taken with me. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? They're just smiling all the while saying, when are you going to put me back? And I do. I'm a catch and release guy. I'm a bodybuilder. When I was 18, I was a bodybuilder. I'm an intrepid explorer. (laughs) I'm a crash test dummy. I've been a crash test dummy before. And I'm a 54-year-old quarterback in the 2012 Turkey Bowl. Look at him go. There's Tyler Hammock right there. As he throws yet another touchdown to Tyler Hammock, the defense is just like, oh no, he did it to us again. Can't believe it. And I was a quarterback of the Washington Redskins. (laughs) 
And I was only eight years old. The guy had talent and they knew it. By the way, look how old that helmet is. It was the feather over the top of the helmet. I'm a bike racer. There's a bike race team. Yeah, who's got it for a bicycle outfitters? Yeah. I'm a fashion model for cycling clothing. <laughs> and oh yes, he's a ladies man. <laughs> that picture was taken 35 years ago with a beautiful young woman on the outside and the inside who nine months later became my wife. And we've been married 35 years come November. Yeah. So, I am a guy who has a story. Does that qualify me? I think so. Forget the Dos Equis guy. I am the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> That Dos Equis guy's got nothing on me. He don't even know what's going on. So it's okay to be number eight on the depth chart as long as I am number one in the hearts of the fans. Give it up. All right. So this morning, you'll see on your table a little handout in front of you. I left you some materials, and we're going to go into them a little bit. But just let me tell you, I created this track on Pete Maravich. NBA playoffs are going on. If you're a basketball fan, I hope you'll read this and uh, maybe pass it along to somebody. Um, I loved Pete Maravich when I was a kid, and so I always thought about that. This is something we're going to get into just a little bit, this little life is short uh, thing that, that I've handed out as well. I think that that'll be something that'll be important to you and help us to focus this morning um, during the message. Well, when Pastor Matt said you have any message for the guys? And I'm like, I don't know. All of a sudden, it dawned on me. I remembered reading this book, The Pastor's Guide to Effective Preaching. And I remembered the time when I came across something that I have written out for you. Life is short, eternity is long. I was on an airplane on September 11th, 2004. And I was on my way to Bonner Springs, Kansas to preach at my friend's church. And I'm so thankful the Lord gave me an eternal perspective, and that's where we're going today. I paid my way to go preach in his church in Kansas because I just had a burning desire to just share the message of God's love to people. And so here's my ticket from Dulles. I was on my way to Atlanta and then on to Kansas, and I read this uh, in this book. As I reminded my students, the theology of preaching is simple, non-technical, and mostly monosyllabic. Life is short. Eternity is long. God is love. Christ is alive. Grace is free. Sin is destructive. Things are fleeting. Hope is real. And relationships are important. And those nine things, it just all of a sudden occurred to me, those nine things... When you include those in any message to any group, they are the most important things. And you know what's interesting? The Lord prompted me to go all the way to Kansas so that on Sunday, September the 12th, preaching in a church of about 100 people, Brandy Pugh, I never will forget her name, Brandy Pugh came to faith in Christ. 
And the next morning, I flew back to Leesburg. God had somebody's eternal destiny in mind when he orchestrated that plan. And I think that's just the most remarkable thing. And so today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 136. It's on page 435 if you have one of those Bibles that were uh, left at the back. I'm not going to give you a verse by verse. I'm not going to give you an expository. I'm going to give you a devotional message, and that's what this is about. And so, men, this psalm was written in a manner of speaking as a responsive reading. And so I'd like for you to stand, and I'm going to read the first part, and you read the second part. I hope that you get the gist of what God is trying to say. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth. Uh, Upon the waters, sorry. (laughs) Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the desert, who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel, to the one who remembered us in our low estate, and freed us from our enemies, and who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. How long does God's love endure? Forever. You may be seated. Forever. When I read this last week as I was coming through the Bible, I knew that the Lord was linking up. Life is short. Eternity is long. God is love. Christ is alive. Grace is free. Sin is destructive. Things are fleeting. Hope is real. Relationships are important. I knew he was telling me to tell you about eternity and to ask you the question today, do you have an eternal perspective? It doesn't make a difference of your age. There are teenage young men in this room and guys in their 20s. This message is for you. You need to know those nine things because those are the things that are most important in life that you understand God's perspective of those nine things. Guys in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, you have children and young adults in your family, and you need to be uh, mindful of these things that you would raise your kids with this perspective in mind. Men in your 60s, 70s, and Dick Baker in your 80s. I didn't call you out or anything. (laughs) Uh, 
you men have the privilege of teaching this to your adult children who now have your grandchildren. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We all need to remember these nine things because when we do, and we have God's perspective of these nine things, we will live a life that is remarkably distinct and different from those who live around us, the people we know. And God is calling us to these things. He's calling us to understand his perspective because life is really short. The older you get, the, the, you're going to find out how fast it really goes. I'll give you a funny story. You know how I knew when I was starting to get old? I remember shaving one day and I happened to look in the mirror when I was going like that and I noticed wrinkles bunched up at the side of my ear and I'm like, oh man, my face is no longer taut like that guy in the picture. I wasn't even worried about this. I was worried about the wrinkles by my ears. Life is really short. It goes very fast. Psalm 144 verse 3 and 4 says, Lord, what is man that you care for him? The son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. It goes fast to have God's perspective. Eternity is long. God is love. Christ is alive. Grace is free. Sin is destructive. It is destructive. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. My grandmother, my mother told me this, but my grandmother used to say, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. It is destructive unless you have the word of God in your life and Christ in your heart. You're going to make decisions that will be self-destructive. And we all know those people who make those decisions and the, and the damage and the debris that they leave behind. For sin only lasts for a season, the Bible tells us. And I never will forget when somebody shared this with me and how uh, powerful this statement is that sin will take you farther than you wanted or intended to go. Isn't that true? It just takes you on and on a path that is just so destructive. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. It doesn't let go. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay because there are consequences. Ravi Zacharias, and I couldn't confirm this quote, but I read this. He said, the biggest battle you will ever meet in your life is your daily appointment with God. Keep it. Or every other battle will be lost. I want to encourage you men, if you don't already have that time set aside, man, you, you need that time. Please consider that as an investment and spend time with the Lord and his word. Things are fleeting. They rust out. They are outdated almost out of the box. They go out of style. Things are fleeting. They don't last. Hope is real. Do you have hope for today and hope for tomorrow and the future? 
If you don't, the Bible tells us how you can have that hope and have that assurance, and we're going to talk about that. And it tells us that relationships are important. The Bible tells us this. Sherry and I, my wife, we started a Sunday evening dinner about a year and a half or so ago because we realized that our kids, uh, Kristen will be 19 tomorrow, our youngest daughter. My son, Mike Jr., will be 25 in June. And our oldest daughter, Carrie, will be 27 in July. And we just realized we, they're not little kids anymore and we eat dinner and all that together all the time. We need to intentionally bring ourselves together at least once a week as a family. And we're so thankful that they live close by. And so every Sunday evening, as often as we possibly can, we get together so that we can deepen our relationships with our kids because someone has said that our family is the only treasure that we'll be able to take to heaven with us. And so they're so important. Relationships are important. All of these things, I hope that you will take this. And when you don't have anything else to think about, you read this. I'll give you something to think about. But today I want to focus on eternity. And I want to focus on someone I know and two people that I've read about who have lived with an eternal perspective in mind. By the way, aren't you thankful for Pastor Gary and his pulpit ministry? I am. I'm telling you. I have the privilege of writing the study guide every week. And if you ever want to go back and review a message, if you go on the church website on the teaching library, you'll see a PDF there, and those are the study guides. And you can take those and grab a hold of them and study and, and dig deeper. But I'm so thankful for his message. And last weekend's message about Elimelech and the decisions he made as a man that affected the eternal destiny of members of his family as well as himself. That's a powerful message for guys, no matter how old you are. And I hope that you'll go back and listen uh, to that message if you were not here. Eternity. Do you have an eternal perspective? I know my son-in-law, Sean, and my son, Mike, and my daughter, daughters, Kristen and Carrie, and my wife, too, they think I'm morbid and fixated on death because I'm always telling them, look, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm just not going to be here forever. And they, they just go crazy. And whenever I want to like get them to make sure that they have good relationships with each other, I look at them and say, your mother and I are not going to be here forever. Don't I say that? They're shaking their heads, yes. Because you're all that you'll have is each other. We will not be here forever. I played basketball with some guys on Monday. And one of the, is the first time I'd ever seen this new guy. And it, this idea of eternity just keeps refreshing over in all the different things that I'm involved in in life. It just continually comes across my thinking. And he said, yeah, I graduated from high school at Loudoun Valley in 1997. And it just dawned on me, Wow. I was 21 years old at that time. I'm 56 and he's 35. And yes, I beat him. <laughs> In two on two and 21. Yeah. Uh, but man, that just, it makes you feel old at one part, at one moment, but also 
causes me to just think about eternity. And I want to tell you about somebody I know, and her name is Fern Cooper. Fern Cooper is the little lady in the red sweater playing the piano. I want you to think about somebody who I personally know, born in 1919. She's 95 years old. She grew up in Ashburn when it was a dirt trail, pretty much. She told me about going to the Ashburn train station and all of that kind of a thing. She, we were having a hymn sing that night in 2003. She lives out of state now, but let me just tell you something. When I was six years old, get this, she would have been 45 years old, and she was my Sunday school teacher. And I emailed her. She's 95. She emails. Go figure. She is not going to let anybody slow her down. And her email address is Prayer Warrior. It's been that forever since she had an email years ago. Prayer Warrior. Does that tell you who she is? She loved me. And 50 years later, she still loves me. When we read the scripture that says his love endures forever, to, to piggyback on Pastor Gary's thing, that kind of love that she has demonstrated towards me and the kind of love that the Bible tells us about, that lasts longer than a can of cheese whiz. I'm telling you. It lasts longer than a Christmas fruitcake and it lasts longer than a cricket game, which I tried to watch on TV the other night. <laughs> I don't get that at all. So you'll never see me in a cricket outfit, modeling cricket clothes. But it's just remarkable to me. You know, when I first got saved, um, 19, March 1983, she was so excited for me. And then I started to feel called to the ministry and, and speak. And, you know, I can remember to this day, after doing a Wednesday night Bible study on Ruth, Jonah, and James, completely disconnected Bible studies throughout the whole uh, entirety of those books. I remember her words encouraging me about that. That was 30 years ago. I just, it's just amazing to me the kind of love. And listen to what she said in her email. Thank you, Mike, for your sweet note. I still miss Aldersgate Church very much. I'm so glad God sent you our way. It was all in his plan. Keep up the good work you're doing, and may God bless you and your family. You are a precious friend to us, and I love you and Sherry very much. Won't heaven be wonderful when we all get home? I sure don't want to miss it. All for Jesus, Fern. And when I wrote her asking her to pray for this time today, this is what she did. She didn't just say, I'll pray for you. She wrote the prayer. This is what she prayed for me and for every man that's in this room today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity you've given to Mike. You know just who will be there. You know the needs of this day in which we are living. You also know that many preachers and pastors are not giving people the truth about eternity and the urgent need to be ready when the trumpet sounds. Please anoint Mike for this meeting. Please give him just the words you want him to speak. Prepare hearts to hear the truth and to understand how important it is to be ready and to think about the millions who are going to be left behind. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer, and thank you for using Mike for your glory. He is your servant, and what a privilege it is to lift him up to you for such a time as this. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. 
Oh, thank you, Mike, for sharing this with me. I will surely be praying for you as you speak. Let me hear more. Love, hugs, and prayers. All for Jesus, Fern. In Missouri, today, right now, Fern Cooper is praying for us in this meeting that we would have God's eternal perspective in our mind and in our heart. She has lived life with these nine things and eternity in her mind. There's another man that I would like to share with you. His story. This is a picture of a man named Arthur Stacy from Australia. Born in 1884, the child of alcoholics. A ward of the state by the time he was 12. He was a lookout for his sisters to keep a watch for police so that they wouldn't bother the houses of prostitution that his sisters ran. That's what he did. That's who he was. But God came to him and gave him an eternal hope. On August 6, 1930, at the age of 46, Arthur Stacy came to Christ. A few years later, on November 14, 1932, he heard a message by evangelist John Ridley on Isaiah 57, 15, and this is what it says in the King James Version. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. John Ridley's words, eternity, eternity, I wish I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney, Australia. You've got to meet it. The question, where will you spend eternity? He was illiterate. And yet God gifted him in beautiful copper plate font to be able to write the word eternity. And he felt called that this was his mission in life. For 35 years, every morning, he would leave his home and his wife at about 5 o'clock. And he would go around the streets of Sydney with a piece of chalk. And wherever he could find, on sidewalks, at train stations, it didn't matter where, he would beautifully write out, an illiterate man would beautifully write out eternity. It is estimated that in 35 years, he wrote the word eternity to confront the people of Sydney, Australia with the message that God is asking them that question, where will you spend eternity? He wrote that word over 500,000 times. That was his calling. He used what God gave him to share a message of God's love. Let me tell you about this man. This man is John Harper. That is his daughter, Nan. Pastor Gary shared a story of the Titanic two weeks ago on Easter when he shared about the list of the saved and the lost. I want to tell you John Harper's story, a man who was on the Titanic. He was called into the ministry when he was 17 years old. He preached in the winter of 1911 at the famous Moody Church in Chicago. And the revival meetings that he held were well-received. Many people were saved. Many people were strengthened in their faith. The unbelievers were challenged. And he was called back 
to preach in the spring of 1912. When, and let me read, if I can, from a, a few excerpts that I pulled together. When Harper boarded the Titanic for the return trip to the United States, he was 39 years old, a widower accompanied by his six-year-old daughter, Nan. His departure included an ominous foreshadowing of disaster. For while speaking at a seaman's mission home in Glasgow, Scotland, he mentioned that he had changed his plans, and instead of sailing on the Lusitania, he was scheduled to sail on the Titanic. A man stood up in the meeting and begged him not to go, saying he had been in prayer and had the impression that danger and disaster awaited him if he made that voyage. I remember getting this book. It's called Nothing Can Separate Us. It's about Nan Harper's recounting of her experience with her father on the Titanic and being rescued. And I remember I used to read to the kids as often as possible, and I remember reading this book to them in the family room, and I remember reading this to the point when I began to think about all that John Harper said and did and who he was. I just began to weep uncontrollably. And yesterday when I, was, I read this again, you can read it, it's a very short book, I was sitting at my desk and I just started to cry. Because my friend Fern is right. There are millions of people who will go off into eternity and not know Christ. And that was John Harper's story. He went ahead and with an eternal perspective in mind, thinking of the untold numbers of people he was going to preach to in Chicago. That he had to go. And so he sailed on the Titanic with his daughter. While he was there, he told people of God's love... And he encouraged them to think of their eternal destiny, is what Nan said. And for the first three days of the journey, that's all he did. One of her little friends had a, had a dream that the boat was going to sink. And she told her father. And that night, April 14th, as he tucked her into bed, he read to her Psalm 139, verses 5 through 10. You hem me in behind and before... You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He said to her, Nan... God's word says he has loved you with an everlasting love and nothing can separate him from you. Nothing. In just a few short hours, the Titanic would hit the iceberg. And as John Harper put his little girl into lifeboat number 11, he said these words to her. Nan, no matter what happens to me tonight, never forget your heavenly father's great love. He will never leave you. Even if I were to join your mother in glory tonight, remember that our home is not here on this earth. It is in heaven and our parting will be but a brief one. If I make it to glory before you, I shall be waiting for you there. As the scale of the crisis started to become obvious, Harper's Scottish voice could be heard calling out, Women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats first. 
Now you think about that. He took his very own life jacket, the only means of survival that he had, and he gave it to another man. And he said, when the man asked him why he would do that, he said, I'm not going down, sir. I'm going up. And that was John Harper's eternal perspective. Absolutely. And let me read from an account that was printed in the, in the Baptist Times. One man, picked up by the SS Carpathia after clinging to a board for several hours, recalled an encounter with a man that turned out to be John Harper. After the ship had gone down, the man drifted near another passenger, Harper, who was struggling to stay afloat in the icy Atlantic. Are you saved? Harper called out to him. No, he replied. Harper responded with the words of Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The man made no reply. He drifted away again. But before long, the current brought them back within sight of each other. And again, Harper asked him, Are you saved now? <laughs> no, he replied. I can't say honestly that I am. Once more, the words from Acts echoed in the darkness before they drifted apart for the last time. After his rescue, the man found out the name of the man who had asked him these questions. He explained what happened at a meeting in Ontario, Canada, a few short weeks after people were brought uh, from the rescue scene. Shortly after, he went down, speaking of John Harper, and there alone in the night, and two miles of water underneath me, I believed. And I am John Harper's last convert. John Harper lived his life with an eternal perspective. And today I need to ask you that question. Are you living your life with an eternal perspective? When all is said and done, what regrets will you have regarding the things you've said and done as well as the things that you've left unsaid and undone? There's a song, a bluegrass song that I like to listen to that I heard not long ago. And it's called, Where Did the Morning Go? I Meant to Do So Much More With This Life. And there's a Bad Company song I remember from the 70s about Johnny's life passed him by like a warm summer day. And you know, my brother, my cowboy partner, my brother Johnny died last year. And, you know, we believe he came to faith just a few days before he died. And I look to see my cowpoke buddy in heaven one day because I prayed for him like Fern Cooper prayed. I shared with him all I knew like Arthur Stacy, and I proclaimed the gospel to him like John Harper. And I believe that God saved him. In a 2011 newsletter, Gospel for Asia founder K.P. Johannan said, I can't turn back the clock. Time flies, and before we know it, it's all over. There's the final goodbye from this earth and to all the things we thought were so important 
and held on to so tightly. Think about it. One hundred years from now, what do they matter? Oh, how silly we are not to live in the light of eternity. Live in the light of eternity. Make your life count. And you know, it's a delicate balance between living as though you got another hundred years to go and living as though today at 4.15 it's over. That is a delicate balance. But like John Harper, I ask you today to turn over your little card that says something's wrong and we need help. This is an outline of the gospel, of God's justice, His mercy, His grace, His love. Jesus is the answer, and we need to pray and we can be assured. I ask you today, are you saved? I hope so, men. I hope it is real in your life. I hope your relationship with the Lord is vital. I hope that you have a purpose and you understand God's plan for you, that you have something you need to do while there is time. And so today, I ask you once more, is your name on the list of the saved or the lost? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the truth of your word, Psalm 136, that tells us your love endures forever. We thank you of the story of these three people, your servants, Fern Cooper, Arthur Stacy, and John Harper. Their stories speak to us. They challenge us and encourage us at the same time to live a life that makes a difference, live a life in light of eternity, to remember these nine things and know the scriptural truth behind these important parts of life. I pray, Lord, that you would impress these things on our heart and our mind. And, Lord, we take nothing for granted. It could be that there is a young man, an old man, any age man in this room today who does not know you personally. Lord, we stop and we pray and we allow opportunity for them to come to faith in Christ. Maybe they'll be like Brandy Pugh. Maybe they'll just be the one. I don't know. But if that's you today and you don't know the assurance of Christ in your life, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Christ to die for me. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church and your people. Help me to love them. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and making me new from the inside out. I want to know you, Lord, all the days of my life. Again, I thank you for loving me and forgiving me of my sin. Make me new in Jesus' name. And Lord, this is our prayer. We ask that you would help us to go from this place today with these things on our mind. Make us your instruments, Lord, out in the world today. We love you, we praise you, and we give you thanks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.